But I started telling my key people at work, my team, and if it wasn't for them, I I could have never done this. If I had done this by myself, not told anyone, it wouldn't have worked. You're back at the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's episode, we have a three-peater now, Dr. Rachel Salas. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Kim. Well, everybody, Dr. Rachel Salas is our Assistant Medical Director with the Johns Hopkins Center for Sleep and Wellness. She's a professor of neurology. She's going to correct me if she has any new or different titles, but Dr. Salas was here on two episodes ago, so I would urge you to go back to episode number 92, where she talked about strength-based psychology. She's a Clifton Strengths Inventory trained uh, coach, and then on episode 199, she talked about coaching and uh, using a strength-based approach, and really, really great conversation. I was looking at my notes from the last episode for um, number 199. Gosh, we talked about Roy Ziegelstein's personomics. It's not about the nail, which is a great little story there. Um, she shared with us that research shows that when we feel valued, when employees feel valued, they are six times more likely to be engaged, three times more likely to highly rate their quality of life. So there's a there's a lot of um, benefits to uh, this a strength based psycho- psychological approach and. I just want to like turn it over to Rachel because Rachel is going to share with us, I think, something really important as I coach faculty members and leaders across the country. When it comes time for big decisions and making a decision to change, how does that come about and how does that happen? So Rachel's going to share her change leadership decision. And go ahead, Rachel, just start us off and how this great news came about. You know, I I I I think I'm going to start with when the pandemic hit. You know, I I kind of had a little bit of time to reflect, and I'm originally from Texas. Um, pretty much did all my training in Texas before leaving to come to Baltimore to do my sleep medicine fellowship, and then have been uh, you know joined faculty in 2008 and have been at Hopkins and in Baltimore since then. Right after, like maybe a month after the pandemic hit, I stopped traveling. And I know as faculty, many of us travel quite a bit. Um, And I realized I would like so far from my family, you know, at the same time, my mom, you know, was she's gotten a little older and, you know, my sons were, you know, they're getting older. And, you know, I always had this thought about getting back to Texas. And, you know, before you know it, like 16 years had gone. Had gone by. I just had some reflection. I was like, you know, I think we we need to head back. And I spoke to my ex husband, who's also a physician, also from Texas, also wanting to go back. And I'm like, I think we I think we should do this, you know. And so we started making plans. But initially, I thought my 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 plan was to do kind of a hybrid. So I was like, I think I could make things work where I could kind of live a little bit in Baltimore and live a little bit in in uh, Texas. And so that's where it started. Wow. So that um, 16 years where someone's going to be, that's an important point because I, so many times, I mean, many of us say, I'm going to do this for a minute. 
and then I'm going to go back to or do whatever. And that's the whole, you know, was it Bob Dylan who said life is what happens while you're busy making plans or one of those wise sages, or maybe it was Oprah. I don't know. I love uh, that. I too thought when I was back at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago doing my gerontology research at the Rush Institute for Healthy Aging and trying to desperately to get an R01 and submitting it every cycle and just sitting in my little office every day, crunching numbers, writing papers, writing grant applications, and thinking one of these days an R01 is going to hit, an R01 is going to hit. And it was 2003 when the NIH kind of dried up and our director said, hey, if you don't, at a faculty meeting, those of us who don't have 100% of our salaries covered on by grants, we're going to cut your salary in half. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? So I went, you know, running around to go back to my default, which is to be an adjunct professor. So I'm, you know, getting gigs at Northwestern, University of Chicago, UIC, thinking I'll make up that salary somewhere. And then just two weeks before that deadline, uh, the director came to me and said, hey, my my colleague, uh, as part of his retention pack- package, wants to start our, a mentoring program for junior faculty members, he, you know, half-time program director. And I told him, you'd be great at that. And I was like, what? And I thought, well, it'll co- cover half my salary. So I'll do that until my R01 hits. And that was 2003. And here I am, 2022, doing faculty development at Johns Hopkins. Who knew? I mean, that is kind of an interesting, as much as, you know, we're always kind of um, coached and mentored to have a plan and a five-year goal and 10-year plan. Sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen. But so you had the 16-year, like, whoa, 16 years have flown by and what next? Yeah. Yeah. And I was ready for, I, you know, I, I was ready for, uh, honestly, not just a change, but a transformation. Um, I, I, I was accepted into the Alpha Omega Alpha um, leadership program. So the AOA is our uh, medical honor society and, you know, um, honored to be selected as one of the fellows. And in that leadership program, we had to have a project and I can talk a little bit more if if we have time on that. But but part of it was this inward journey, you know, and I think, you know, at the start of the pandemic, when we had decided to move back, you know, we didn't have like necessarily a a, a specific timeline. But when I got uh, accepted into this AOA program um, in 2021, and I started reflecting more, you know, about this inward journey and who I am, who I want to be, how do I occur, Um I decided, you know, I'm going to, I need, I need, I need something big. I need a transformation. And so it was at the start, it was in May, 2021 that I said, I'm going to move back to Texas at, in a year. Wow. Wow. And, and, and when you were on that, that journey, and I love that you shared that, I didn't know that was part of that fellowship the leadership program that you reminded me a little bit of an offshoot, of course, because I'm great at taking these side roads Heather Brode, my colleague, who's a coach, she used to be at Ohio State University in faculty of and development. She and I, for months earlier this year, developed a, a weekend retreat, a co- mid-career coaching development program. And we spent a weekend with 12 of our graduates of the mid-career women's program here at Hopkins. And it was, that was what we were trying to get at was this transformative inward journey of what are my values? What are my beliefs? What are the assumptions I hold? And how do I giving them some fundamental coaching skills on being curious and non-judgmental. And 
And I think that's, and we purposely picked our mid-career faculty women because that's where we're finding, you know, some level of dissatisfaction and being poached. And, you know, you're kind of in that stage of like, like you described, Rachel, like what's next? I mean, is this it? Is this now where I'm done? Like, how do I dig deeper and put in deeper, stronger roots? Or how do I spread out, go deeper? Is yeah. it spreading out? You know, how how do we, you know, manifest the next iteration of us? So I like how you well, were courageous and brave and made that decision that was going to happen. And I, I want to hear like how the, how you involved others in that decision, or if that was kind of like, okay, this is me. I'm making this decision personally. I want a transformation. Now, how do I get everybody else on board? Or were you getting some of those kind of little whispers in your ear from, gosh, mom saying, gosh, Rachel, it'd be great if you and the boys were closer home or your ex-husband with whom you're really close saying, you know, I'm getting tired of the drag. Like how, how did, do you think it was purely an internal decision or what effect did other factors have on that decision? And then how did you move it into the space of everybody else signing up? Yeah, well, well, first I'll say that I wasn't, I wasn't dissatisfied, which I think right now in the pandemic, you know, burnout and that's even more elevated in, in healthcare and academia. I wasn't dissatisfied. I was actually excited. I was already doing a ton of coaching. I everything I was involved with, I'm doing a lot of work with um the the AMA and health system science, just really excited about who I was working with and what I was doing. But I felt something about wanting to be bold, right? And do something, you know, just do something different and exciting. Um, but I wasn't ready to leave Hopkins, right? Because I, it's really easy. For, I could have said, you know, I'm moving to Texas. I'll find another job and uh, kind of do the standard. And and Kim, you know me. I'm, I don't, I, I like to do new things right. and build new paths. And I was like starting several programs and have such a fabulous team at Hopkins that I was like, I'm not ready to to do that. So how can I how can I make it work? And so when you know, after talking to um, my family, but I wasn't getting any at all any pressure. This was something that I had always wanted to do. We were always going to come back to Texas at some point, and it just took <laughs> a lot longer than we thought. But I started telling my, you know, key people at work, my team, and yeah. if it wasn't for them, I, I could have never done this. If I had done this by myself, not told anyone, it wouldn't have worked. Mm. And I will say initially, you know, like I said, I was going to do a hybrid approach, but at somewhere along the way, um, you know, for, for a few different reasons, I decided to shift over and say, you know what, I'm going to actually move, but somehow still be full time at Hopkins. Mm. Well, you're, you're describing something that and it's clear from and those um, another little deviation, folks. If you don't know the Clifton Strengths based inventory and psychology, um, Rachel Salas shared with us on her last episode. Again, that was episode 199. The her five topmost strengths are individualization, strategic adaptability, arranger activator. And so it's clear the way you're talking, how this being bold, looking for big transformative changes fits in with, you know, that is your, those are your strengths. Those are clearly part of your 
personality DNA. And so what I what I also really enjoy about the way you're describing this is the the courage that sometimes, you know, it's scary to make these big changes. And you describe a couple of things. I'm not sure it's going to work. If I didn't involve anybody else, I've got a great team. I'm not dissatisfied. So sometimes I think we can talk ourselves out of these courageous, bold moves because we're we're safe. We're secure. Why mess with something's good? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why you want to rock the boat? And yet sometimes there's this yearning to go big, to do, to dig deeper, to go broader, to say, what else? What next? How else can I stretch myself? So I think we can all do that at a micro level. It doesn't have to be move across country, but I, I like how you are painting a picture of the possibilities and without kind of busting down these sometimes self-imposed boundaries or borders. And we say, oh, we couldn't possibly do that. We can't do that. Why not? But you showed that clearly that self-reflection and deliberation and thoughtfulness and being strategic ended up working out beautifully. Yeah, I mean, it 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 was it was challenging because there's a lot of moving parts, but like you mentioned, my strengths of adaptability and a ranger. A ranger, I can have many, many plates in the air and not know where things are gonna land and and kind of lean on my adaptability to just kind of deal with whatever comes my way. And so there were a lot of moving parts, but again, this is very comfortable for me. I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't afraid. I did kind of, you know, have second thoughts along the way. Um, but I really leaned into my adaptability. I said, you know, it's okay. If I, if things don't work out and I need to leave Hopkins completely, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, and you'll land, you'll land on your feet. That that kind of um, safety net and and confidence and faith that it's going to work out. Uh, if I've done collected all the data I can collect based on you know what I know now, and after thoughtfulness and deliberation and rational, and then looking inward to your emotions, what you feel, that kind of at some point you just say, "I'm going to jump and um, let the cards fall where they may," and Fortunately, in academic medicine, faculty members, you know, we are privileged with the education and the training. And it's not as if, um, you know, thankfully, we we like the odds are against us starving to death, um, that we'll we'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I'm very grateful. You know, we 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 both do a lot of coaching, but during my leadership program, um, the AOA had provided some funds that I could use towards my own um, development. And so I did more coaching. I got certified as a, a master professional life coach oh. and I got myself a coach. I got uh, and a, a shout out to Carrie Bischoff, who, who's the one that first mm-hmm. um, introduced me to coaching and strengths. But I met with her every month and told her, you know, I got this move and, you know, I want to do it Texas. So I actually had once a month, a one our phone call with her to kind of check in. And I think that was key for me to kind of continue and, 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 and kind of reflect as I was going. I don't think if I had that, it's very likely I could have postponed my timeline, but every month I knew she would have me set my goal so that every month when I had to call her, uh, she was, she asked, she would ask me, did you achieve what you said you were going to do? And she actually wrote them down and 
and told me this accountability, is accountability. Yes. yes. And I wanted to be like, yeah, I did it. And then before I knew it, I was moving to Texas. Wow. Wow. So t- talk to us about the um, getting support and all those pieces and parts. Like, how did you tie up all those loose ends? What was your game plan in saying, okay, my, the, the le- my patients, the learners, my colleagues, my yeah. boss, the leadership team here, how, what, without too much detail, but how did you manage those conversations and how did you convince people like, it's going to be okay. I got this. Um, how, how was there any kind of, were there any bumps where you had to really work a little harder with certain folks to convince them that this was going to be okay? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I think there were some bumps and, and a couple of mountains. Mm. Um, Initially, when the pandemic hit, like most clinicians, we all went to telemedicine. And I'll say that with my time at at UTMB, University of Texas Medical Branch for med school and residency, um, I was doing telemedicine as a student and and leading a, a, a neurology clinic as chief resident back then. And so the shift for me in tele was very easy. And I will say that not all specialties are set up for telemedicine. Right. Um, but sleep medicine is, in fact, it's even more valuable because as I'm doing consultations, usually people are calling from, you know, their maybe even their bedroom, but their home, even their offices. And I can, and I can tell you that I've been able to give some feedback, you know, for some patients that have insomnia, for example, on their environment. So <laughs> I was already doing that. And so telly, as far as my clinical you know, it was looking very promising that I could actually, and at some point I even told, you know, um, our center, I said, you know, if, 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 if I, okay, I'd like to continue solely with tele-sleep. And this is while I was, you know, back in Baltimore. So I already knew that could work. But what I did is I tried to start setting myself up as like the main person doing like kind of tele Kind of outreach, kind of growing the program. We were all doing telly, but um, I, I wanted to kind of open up new avenues. So it was back um, in the fall of 2021 that I said, you know, let me get my Texas license because if I can start building um, a practice, you know, for like consultations for people, because I knew there was a need in Texas. So I got my license and all that paperwork, you know, people knew I was getting a Texas license, but at the same time, I was showing like I was opening opportunity for our sleep center to have a reach. And it was in the priorities of Hopkins, right? Trying to, you know, look for new avenues for clinical opportunities. So, you know, it, 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 my chair had a sign off on my um, license uh, paperwork and my department knew about it and they even um, started advertising um, for me in Texas uh, to build that practice. So that was really, you know, easy. And then on the education side, because I do a ton of that, um, you know, I've been a clerkship director director for over a decade, and we had been, you know, trying to identify who was, you know, my successor. And um, luckily, I had someone um, for the last two years that I had already kind of been grooming who's very interested. And so we brought her on in September as a co-director, and the plan is to kind of transition out. But from the get-go, I was like, you're going to come on and you'll be the face of the clerkship in person. 
And I'm going to be in the background, you know, kind of gr- continuing to groom, be there to support. We'll, we'll co-direct for a year and then kind of go from there. So I had that covered. And then my other role in, as the director for interprofessional education, we had been very virtual since the, you know, throughout the the pandemic and and even we're going to, I knew we were going to continue to be virtual this, this year. So I knew, but, but that was the one position that I thought, like, if anybody, if anybody was going to go back in person, it would be that role. So as of January, you know, this is my six, I'm in my sixth year of being the director. Um, you know, I, I'm stepping down and they're, they're already in the process of, of making final decisions. But, you know, I, I refuse to be, um, you know, a full professor um, sitting in a position. And I'm not not to say that any full professor in a position is sitting in there. But for me, I'd like to open up opportunity for others to lead. And I shifted into sponsorship mode and, and continue to do that. But that really aligns with my values. Mm-hmm. So I, I made these strategic kind of moves there. And so with that, that those were kind of the main things I did. But then, you know, there were some challenges as we went, you know, through the year. Amazing. IPE director, clerkship director, master professional life coach, professor, sleep, sleep center, sleep and wellness assistant director, and cartoonist and app designer. And folks, you can see why I'm just totally number one fan I remember meeting you early on, and I talked about this in the last podcast episode, maybe both of them, that when I was brand new to Hopkins in 2013, you and Charlene Gamaldo were one of the first people I met within the, like a week or two weeks. And I don't even remember why I met with you, but I remember sitting there going, being totally blown away with your just so laid back, so chill, so like cool person. And I remember distinctly walking out of your office going, wow, welcome to Hopkins. Unbelievable genius. And so real. I mean, that's what's great about Hopkins is that it's such a collegial, collaborative place where you meet people who are just like you, who have this growth mindset. I remember you talked about that a lot. That's just who you are, a growth mindset. And you're you're still doing that. And I totally agree with you, Rachel, that this was it Joseph Simone's, the Simone's maxims about academic medicine that 10 years is a good time, like a term limit on leadership, that all about sponsorship, that it, part of our obligation as leaders is to step aside and to prepare for the next brain and set of eyes and the new creative angles and the new lens to look in and explore and examine things and for us to create a new and also um shake off old and transform and build and create so i'm i'm totally with you on this i love this journey i would love it if you could um tell us about that aoa leadership program project i'm sure it's fascinating yeah I, I, well thanks for all your kind words kim I, i'll have to throw you you know uh a little a little a spotlight on you because i met you um bef- i think a bo- little bit before we actually met in my office through the the women's uh leadership program i was like you know early career faculty had just started um in that program and you know even back there back then i mean you have always stood as a role model for me at the institution um and you know 
love your your energy and and so it's it's spotlights like that at at a at a at a big 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 academic enterprise like Johns Hopkins where you could feel you know very lost and 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 small even um the imposter syndrome actually was pretty high with me even back then and and now you know I I really say that imposter phenomenon mm-hmm. is actually something helpful Whereas imposter syndrome, which I definitely had back then, um, and not only was thinking about leaving Hopkins back then, but was thinking about leaving medicine. And mm-hmm. I just want to put out that, you know, people like you, I think, serve as this, you know, guiding light um, to, to you know, kind of move towards. That kind of leads into my project. Um, I wanted... You know, I, I've done a ton of uh, different programs as an educator and leadership programs. I love a good leadership program. <laughs> so <I'm just laughs> that, uh, so you know, growth mindset, lifelong right. learner, always and forever. Um, and I, I apply, and this is my activator. Some some people might wonder what that is, but that's one of my strengths that was so raw for me when I first learned about it. Um, and and once I hone that, I've had a lot of success. So an activator, we can get things moving. Like I can make things happen, right? Like if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And the yep. timeline might take a little longer, but I, 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 you know, people sometimes apply for a grant or an award. They don't get it. And they're like, well, I guess I wasn't good enough. I'm not going to apply again. And that's not my thing. You got to play to win. Mm -hmm. And when I know I want something, I'm going to get it and I'm going to keep trying, you know. Um, And so through as my, you know, development as an educator, I've kind of learned some things on the along the way in the different programs, you know, different experiences. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of of, you know right now still learning. I'm doing my feng shui certification. I know, (laughs) I know, I know. Um, But, you know, kind of learn things along the way. So I developed a program that we kicked off this fall for educators, but this program, um, you know, working with my work BFF, Charlene Gamaldo, another sleep neurologist and and, um, educator, um, and, and, and and a broader team too. You know, I work with Tony Ungaretti, who's been, you know, a great mentor, and you know Rick Milter and and at the school of uh, the Cary Business School and Jessica Beanstock here at Ho- Hopkins, um, you know to develop this program that that I have a formula for and and so the idea here and I'm 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 very strategic not to call it a leadership program, but it's a professional development program, and so I think it really kind of highlights like my journey when I went in, you know, as a clinician to academia, I was a neurologist, a sleep neurologist. And now my professional identity, I see myself as a clinician educator or a health professions educator. So I don't, I'm not a doctor that teaches other doctors in training. Mm. I'm a doctor that teaches all health professions, learners, nursing, pharmacy, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that. And, and, 
And I want, and, and I, I'm amazed to see how many people still exit, whether you could even do your master's or your PhD in education and still emerge as like, no, I'm a doctor educator. And it's like, no, you're actually more than that. And so I'm part of my, one of my values is recognition and helping others. You know, I always say my, my mission in life is to help make others glitter. I mean, you know, uh, yes. I love a sparkle. Um, and so that's what this program is. So we selected five. It's a small pilot and we're bringing them through. It's like, you know, about nine month program. And basically I've, I'm, I'm incorporate. I've threaded in things that I felt were transformative in my journey. And I've put it all together in this one program that we're piloting um, in an educator community. So we started with the School of Education, the Master of of uh, uh, the Masters for um, of Education for Health Professionals that Tony Ungaretti created and directs. And so we selected five. And but this program, this formula, can be taken and put anywhere, right? It could be for early career mm-hmm. engineers. It could be for leader. You know, it could be for right. residents. It could be for whoever. Love it. Yeah, it's exciting. Again, it's just, it's hard to get me speechless, but this is just another example of, wow, you let people, you give people the freedom, and that's what academic medicine or academia is about, right? You give people the freedom and then let them create. And this is a perfect example of someone having the the space and being encouraged and being in the right place to make these dreams come true and helping others dreams come true. So you're right in the, I mean, you're, you're just, you're, to me, you're like one of those people who I give the example when you go to, you know, a Broadway show or um, professional athletic performance and you see the pros up there on stage or on the field or on the court or wherever on the movie screen, you're like, oh, that's what good, that's what, that's genius. And that's, that's what you are. And that's what you do. And I can't help but thinking that the interprofessional education arena is where we can all kind of broaden our framework that you talk about that professional identity is once we kind of get out of our silos and our, our labels of, I am this, I'm a gerontologist or I'm a program evaluator or I'm a faculty development person here. We, you know, we're almost trained to be that kind of hourglass and we're really broad when we're in our younger years of education and then we're told to focus, focus, focus. You know, you get promoted if you have a a niche specific area where you're the world expert in this one little, you know, the, the left wing of the monarch butterfly. And then when you're in your later years, you can broaden out, you know, the the hourglass then broadens out and be more general. But I sometimes I can't help and I get it, but I can't help but think that that specificity and that uber focusing comes at a, a loss or the detriment of us being able to look interprofessionally and not only interprofessionally in academia, but at other industries and how we can all leverage what everybody's doing, all humans in every facet. And so I'm a big metaphor person. So I love going to or talking to anybody in any field and see, and I'm always like bringing it back to, Ooh, that's so cool that they do that in plastics and tool and dye. And we need a system like that. And we need a process like that. And so I love how you 
are demonstrating that openness via interprofessional education and how that vision you brought into academic medicine so beautifully that has opened up opportunities, hopefully for other people to see, oh yeah, that she's right. It's not, I'm not just this. I can take this and replicate it in broader fields. So, you know, I, I talked a little while about, you know, having imposter syndrome and that's actually what sparked me to go get my master of education. Right. And, 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 and in that process, I think that's where I learned about the interprofessional. I mean, I had to know, it's not like I've always been interprofessional, you know, back in high school, interestingly enough, I went to, uh, my high school was called health careers high school. And so back there I took courses like medical technology, patient services, phlebotomy, you know, these kind of things that exposed me early on to the collaborative practice. And, you know, as a, as a resident and med student, always like looking to my colleagues and other health professions. And when I went through the MEHP program at Hopkins, um, you know, the other, my, my, my peers were from all over dentistry, nursing, pharmacy, medicine, um, not only from other specialties as well, but across the globe. It's a, it's an international program. And um, that's where I, I, you know, I kind of started seeing, wow, like education's also interprofessional. I know that seems pretty, pretty simple, but, but that's what it was. And, 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 and I hear people, you know, at at the end of the day, and, and this is why I think recognition is so important as one of my core values is that at the end of the day, we're all human and and humans just want to be seen and heard for who they are. And so if I can, you know, do that, sponsor someone else or put together a program, you know, this program that we just kicked off is, you know, for faculty, but you, you know, that I have an undergrad program, the pre-doc program for pre-med students, um, and my Osler apprenticeship program and for the med students that has now expanded to include some of the residents and house staff. Um, and, and then, and then developing a health system science and health humanities GME distinction track, um, as well. And all of these programs include coaching. And I will tell you that that coaching that I do to connect with these others, to help them, help them glitter, right. To help them pull out who they are, who they want to be. And, and, and it's, I, I wanted to um kind of, there was this quote, right. You cannot be what you cannot see, right. From Marion Wright Edelman that I think described my early career um, as faculty at Hopkins, where I didn't see that many women in leadership in my department back then. And certainly women of color, you know, Latina from San Antonio, like there was no full professor that was like that, right? And so I think that kind of fed my imposter syndrome more. Mm -hmm. And so I rewrote that quote to be like, if you can't, you can't be what you cannot see to, if you can't see it, be it. And Ah. so I try to do that for others. Wow. If you can't see it, be it. Oh, Dr. Rachel Salas, I I can't even stop. I I mean, I I I, I filled up the page with all these notes of listing all these programs and things you're doing. It's amazing. I I literally can't even. I can't. I just can't. If you want to 
get your feng shui sparkle glitter on. How about this? Dr. Rachel Salas, as your master professional life coach, you can contact Rachel at rsalas3, R-S-A-L-A-S-3 at jhmi.edu. Go to the facultyfactory.org website. You'll read all about her on her episode. Check out her other last two episodes. Right? Amazing. Amazing. Rachel, thank you, thank you, thank you for being and seeing it. Thanks, Kim. Uh, It's always fabulous to talk to you and, you know, your energy is infectious and you're, you're a great role model. And, you know, I'm just happy to know you. Hmm. Wow. Bye everybody. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.